0: Welcome to the Content Podcast, Conversations with Silicon Valley's Creatives. I'm Daniel Garcia, your host and the cultivator of content magazine published by SV Creates.
1: Hello, this is Usha.
0: Today we talk with Usha Srimivasan. She's the founder and president of Sengman Arts and Mosaic Silicon Valley. Hey Usha, how are you doing? This is Daniel.
1: Hi Daniel, I'm doing very well.
0: How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for taking time. Um, it's your busy schedule to be able to talk on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm really excited to hear uh, just your journey of starting segment Arts and just seeing how that all came about. But before yeah. we do that, um, could you give me a little, what, you have kind of like a history in electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. How did you, because you first came to Texas and then you ended up coming to Stanford.
1: How did that all what...
0: come about?
1: Okay. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Daniel. I really appreciate this opportunity to be on this podcast and to speak sure. with you about Sangam. Um, to kind of my my journey to where I am today, um, I came to the United States uh, in 1990 to actually pursue a PhD in electrical engineering. I went to upstate New York, uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic, and, um, you know, being from southern India and yeah. having never experienced anything colder than 65 degrees to go to <laughs> upstate New York, yeah. Yeah. like Troy, New York you know it was great the fall was fantastic and and the first time I saw snow I was like oh my god this is so awesome and then by the time December came around and you know I was like when is this white stuff gonna stop and it's depressing and so it it was and so I basically kind of commuted my PhD and you know graduated with a master's and went to Texas um for a job, you know, right after my, I graduated and I spent four years there where I got my green card and then uh, decided that I wasn't really feeling this whole engineering thing. So even though I worked as an application software engineer, I was, um, I I felt like I wanted to do something else. And a great way to pivot from anything to anything else is to go get an MBA. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, and that's how I landed up in, in Stanford. And by then I'd been Married for four years, and my husband and I moved out here and uh yeah. I did about fifteen years after I graduated Stanford. I was in a very kind of typical high tech product management job, worked my way through the ranks and yeah. my last corporate gig I was leading entertainment products at a company that is now called Rovi. It used to be called macrovision oh, okay and um you know I enjoyed it it was great career progress, yeah. but um In terms of, you know, where I found myself around 2012 was I had two kids. I was in my, you know, late, early 40s by then. And my husband had a job that was pretty demanding and required a lot of travel. I had young kids and old parents who were living with me. So, um, you know, I found myself kind of, you know, figuring out what I want to do and whether, you know, I wanted to pivot and do something else. And I was fortunate enough to have, Um, the ability to make that choice. So I kind of slowly phased out from my corporate gig, did some consulting for a while. And right around this time, I I started to kind of look around for a bit, you know, and just see where do, do you know, what does it mean to belong to this new country? Because like a lot of immigrants, especially those who come here specifically to attend school you often don't really think about the the kind of the long-term implications of your move yeah right so i came here very specifically to go to grad school and that's all i thought about take your gre get into a good school get a research assistantship the rest of it you know who knows we don't care we figure it out right Right. yeah were you kind (laughs) of
0: thinking that you would go back to india was that yes
1: yes and you know a lot of people come with that notion and i was no different you know Um, I came here very explicitly to to go to school and um, I fully expected to kind of go back and pick up where I left off. And what you don't realize is the tide carries you forward. And in the meanwhile, the India that I left behind didn't exist anymore pretty soon. right? I woke up, I came up like, you know, um, and when I was so heads down with my career and then suddenly I paused and took a look around and you find that especially because this was in the 90s and early 2000s, tremendous changes in India, like in terms of, you know, the whole high-tech boom and what that meant for the, the... the way of living of course in the meanwhile you have a lot of your grandparents generation pass away right. and so you find yourself in this space where you suddenly there's no home to go back to yeah, right yeah. and you're here and you haven't quite yet accepted that this is your new home right yeah but but having children forces you to confront that in a very real way right because it's the only home they know yeah and And so, and you know, you get tunnel vision, especially being in high tech in Silicon Valley. You're in this bubble, and you just are not paying attention to anything that's happening around. So when I stepped out of that bubble, all of a sudden, I, you know, it hit me, and I had to really kind of come to grips with this, you know, what does it mean to be American? What does it mean to be Indian American? Yeah. You know, do we belong? You know, do we really feel like we belong?
2: Yeah. Would you you say,
1: did
0: you feel like, especially like, you know, for two things, for you, definitely, being a woman, being mm-hmm. you know an immigrant to the United States, mm-hmm. did you? How did that that experience for you be? Did you feel that in the tech world, being a woman, there was a little bit of? Uh, I don't
1: no, know. you know, uh, oddly enough, and this is something that's very counterintuitive. I think, um, first of all, I have to say that being an Indian immigrant, we benefit tremendously from the hard work of other communities that came before us so the history of indian immigration in large scale to the us is largely written after 1965 right that was when the hartzeller act was passed and what people don't know is that's a direct kind of offshoot from the civil rights movement it was Hmm. also because the country was in the middle of the Cold War and there was a real need for engineers and scientists and people to come here. So that's why we were allowed to come here, not because there's something inherently superior, but as we felt, you know, so they they were picking people with the potential, you know, people that already had all the, the things that are required to succeed over here, right? We yeah. come here with, obviously, we uh, you know, language is not a problem. We have great, solid, basic degrees in engineering and science. Yeah. And then when we come here, one of the things that I found is we get the best in both worlds. You know, in Silicon Valley by then, by this time, um, the, we, we had kind of plenty of other people that had gone before us also women. I'm not trying to downplay the problem with being a women engineer, but I would say it wasn't any more difficult for South Asian women. Um, You know, We we, we had the degrees, we were able to get in. Sure, there's issues around promotion and all those kind of... And wage um, or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. all of that still existed, but it's not, I wouldn't say it was especially hard for us. If anything, one thing that I noticed is because of certain cultural artifacts right the fact when i'm all through my childbearing age i constantly had either my parents or my in-laws at home with me yeah helping take care of my babies sure yeah the okay? community
2: yeah.
1: yeah and we never had to you know i never had to make the tough choices that some of my white sisters and brothers or people from other communities need to make which yeah. is to kind of, you know, I need, I don't want to outsource child rearing. So I'm going to have to quit or step aside or step off the treadmill to take yeah. care of my kids. Because I had, you know, grandmas and grandpas at home taking care of mine. Yeah, that's So, cool. uh, you know, that was a, a great asset. So I would say that, um, yeah, I, I I didn't really face, uh, I mean, being in product management at that point in the, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, a heady times, you know, this is the dot com. Bubble. Right. There was tremendous opportunity, tremendous mobility. We were constantly being recruited by competitors. Yeah. So, um, well, that's the thing. You know, I
0: mean, a- everybody's experience is a little bit different. And you do hear some women, um, you know, really saying that they felt a real kind of like glass ceiling and yes
1: kind of I, so I think and, and i'm not denying that exists at sure, all it's just course. that my personal journey i didn't hit the glass ceiling yet <laughs> <laughs> right. you know and yeah. and it just so happened maybe i lucked out because that's very real right we yeah. do know you know women make just what 70 plus cents to a dollar that right. men make yeah, and they cool. are very real um real constraints so um yeah. now i we, now I when just,
0: you were growing go. up were you because were, you came you were engineering and you know it's it's kind of a stereotype, right? I mean, I hate to kind of write write of of Indian engineer. And so were you, Mm -hmm. were your parents or what was in the community that kind of like pushed you that? Was it something you really thought you wanted to do or was it more of a cultural community? No, I'll tell
1: you what it was. I'll tell you what it was. Um, In India, when, you know, I grew up, of course, in the 70s and 80s, the surest way for you out of poverty was to have an engineering or uh, you know, a medical degree, right? Those yeah. were the two things that kind of guaranteed your livelihood. And uh, I was fortunate, you know, I didn't have any brothers and my parents were very, very progressive. And my father in particular was determined to make sure that his daughters were fiercely independent and equipped in every way.
2: Yeah. Because
1: normally for the kind of society that I grew up in, the community I grew up in, girls were raised to be daughters, sisters, wives, and mothers, right? right? And that was kind of the norm back then. But to my father's credit, you know, um, even though he was, he didn't have like, you know, advanced degrees, he was a father first and he was the ultimate feminist, right? And he was very aware of kind of women getting trapped in bad marriages and, and kind of all of that. And he was determined not to let his daughters go through that. And same thing with my mom. My mom's a school teacher. So, they even though they raised us in a very conservative kind of very sheltered environment you know when i think about the sacrifices they made to allow me and my sister to leave the country
2: yeah
1: at an age you know at 21 when i came to the us i took my very first airplane flight ever right well, and <laughs> i had never spent a single night away from my family. If it wasn't my parents, it was my grandparents or aunts. I never lived by myself. I was not raised to actually go out there into the world and live by myself. I was raised with the idea that I would, you know, get like a job in a bank or something like that. And then, you know, I would get married to somebody who lived close by and life would go on. Right. And then when i showed an interest in getting into engineering and i managed to get into some of these competitive schools and then later on you get you hear from about others about the opportunities in america and then you know my father and my mom to their credit didn't stop us even though i'm sure it was just absolutely terrifying to them
2: to, right, send to have it. you it's, move yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so
0: what, what did you think with the first when you stepped off the plane and i guess it was new york right to begin new yeah
2: new york, what was yeah.
0: what was that like
1: the wide-eyed 21 year old yeah <laughs> yeah you know you're going into a university town is a little different than if i just kind of yeah. gone into a city right so we're trying new york uh, you know it's it's a it's a relatively small school. It's an engineering campus, with lots of international students. Yeah. Um, and so I, and I also my sister had come there the previous year and she was going through her Ph.D. So I did have somebody okay. there.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And so but nothing. So the university experience is a little bit kind of different. Um, I would say though within a year of coming here, I went out to Dallas and and actually got an apartment for myself. Yeah. I was so clueless. I couldn't drive. <laughs> I but I had no fear because I didn't know enough to fear.
2: Right. <laughs> <You're> sure,
1: too <laughs> you know, naive I,
0: to yeah, no. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. I didn't even know which neighborhoods to uh, to uh, avoid to get an apartment. So I found an apartment in a neighborhood that the only place i could afford it yeah. and later on people told me what the heck are you thinking
2: so you know, <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. so
1: um some of that is just kind of you know ignorance is a bliss um so yeah i mean i think um what happened to me is and this is something that i um the single-minded focus yeah. On a on a particular pursuit, right, whether it's getting your master's degree or, you know, I need to get my green card, I need to do well on my job, yeah. you know, getting a green uh-huh. card, going from a visa to a green card, especially back then in Dallas, you needed to prove that you're worth it, right? Yeah. Hmm. So um, having that single-minded focus kind of put everything, you made everything else recede into the background. Yeah. And I literally, I was thinking just today, now I'm so up to my eyeballs in elections and paying sure. attention to <laughs> all of this stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: When I came there, you know, this is 92 elections. And Ross Perot was a big deal in Dallas. Oh, yeah, and in Texas. Yeah. You know, I didn't even know about the parties and how they differed, right? Yeah. It, it didn't even, you know. So I think I spent a lot of time in that state of tunnel vision, pursuing one milestone after another, well into the 90s. Because once I to, got my green card, I was like, I need to go to business school. I got to business school. I was like, I need to find a job. Yeah. I literally didn't step off the treadmill until I was well into my 30s and my kids had arrived. Yeah, And yeah. that was when I truly started to kind of grapple with these notions of belonging and starting to see, okay, this is my home. These yeah. are my people. Everybody around here is my people. Yeah. And that's when I kind of started to I realize that there are some issues we need to address because remember I came to, the, to Stanford in 95. And when I came in 95, we were still in Silicon Valley about 65% white population, right? right? Yeah. In the intervening 30, 25 years, the demographic changes have been so phenomenal right? Um, in terms of the numbers, the diversity, the trend to diversity is increasing. And at the same time, um, so a lot of us over here are kind of still figuring out where do we where we belong. Where do we belong, right? Yeah. And uh, that was the the motivation behind starting Sangam. I first started Sangam in twenty thirteen, and in twenty sixteen I met my partner uh, Priya Das, right. who has been very much kind of who's the co-founder of this initiative that we started called Mosaic.
0: How how did you guys meet? How would-
1: yeah so it's it? it's an interesting story. So I was presenting I by that time I was already kind of grappling with this idea of building community, building bridges between cultures using the arts. Yeah. And I was presenting um a program that featured an Indian classical dancer and a Cambodian classical dancer. Right. Because both of those art forms had their roots in the temple of in temples of India, right? So um, it's kind of a, a, a pretty easy connection to make, even though they manifest quite differently. The movements are very different. Um, and one of them has evolved uh, very differently along kind of more uh, along the lines of Buddhism. And the other has stayed true, you know, in kind of deeply rooted in Hindu Hinduism and, and Hindu mythology. And um, Priya was an arts critic, for oh, okay. India Currents, to okay. <laughs> a freelancer, yeah. So she interviewed me okay. um, to write a feature on the article and we were talking about it. And she's also, she has a similar path, right? So she came here and was working in high tech as a program manager. And she also was very passionate about the arts and was also thinking about the same issues around, you know, where do we fit in? You know, where how do, how do we kind of expand our spheres of influence and learn more about others and how do we kind of quote unquote become American. And sure. so we, when we got together, we had this big aha moment. And I think, and I think that, um, you know, it kind of became obvious to us that this model of social integration that we held um, you know, as being kind of the standard in America for the longest time, this whole notion of melting pot, right? Right, The notion that you can come here from anywhere in this world, any race, culture, religion, and in this crucible of democracy and freedom can become American. And that, the whole notion, I think, is it, it held reasonably well. I mean, completely, you know, if you set aside the fact that we had indigenous people here, and of course we had slaves brought here against their will. Right, totally. um, for all, everybody else, this notion made sense because a large, um, you know, most of the, the immigrants in the first four waves of immigration came here from Western Europe yeah. or Northern Europe, kind of fleeing famine or persecution or war or seeking better opportunities that were the result of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, um, But they all came here with one-way tickets. Right, seldom right. to go back, yeah. and because they were Judeo-Christian, um, or and they were, you know, white largely, yeah. it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't impractical to expect them to give up some of their unique traits to become American in this melting pot. Sure. And, you know, and in a generation or two, their kids were indistinguishable from anybody else.
2: Right, yeah. But
1: with the fifth, fourth and the fifth wave, after 65, you had more people coming here from Latin America and Asia. And the truth is my kids, you know, they can change their names and they can give up eating curry, <laughs> but they will still be asked, where are you really from, right? Right, yeah,
2: yeah. And,
1: and they're from Santa Clara, that's where they're from. Right,
2: right? yeah. <laughs> but
1: but um, therein lies the problem, the problem that, um, and it isn't so much that people are out there saying, you're not American enough. It's sometimes we self-hyphenate, right? Right, yeah. So I have this very, uh, I have this origin story that I tell about Mosaic, which is my daughter was in um, a STEM school, actually off of Park, uh, you know, a school in San Jose. Mm-hmm. In sixth grade, she came home one day and she was super excited about something. And she said, Amma, ah, you know, there's this Asian kid in my class, blah, blah, blah. And I stopped her and I got, what do you mean Asian kid? You know, India is in Asia, right? right? (laughs) And she just looked at me and, and I, because I didn't grow up here. I didn't realize that the, they say Asian and they mean like Far East or right, yeah. Southeast Asian. And, and then we t- started talking about all the other kinds of Americans in their class. And she said, well, we have South Asians. We have a couple of Mexican-Americans. We have no African-Americans. So I said, well, who is American American right, in your yeah. class? <laughs> yeah. And she said, yeah. well, um, she talked for a minute. And she said, that would be Isabel. Um, and but then she corrected herself and said, "But Isabel, her parents are here from Ireland, and she goes oh, back funny. next year, oh, right?" Yeah,
2: yeah. And
1: and my blind mind was blown. So you have kids self-hyphenating right, and yeah. conferring yeah. the all-American identity based on simply how somebody looks.
0: Yeah, right? it's funny how that even just subconsciously it gets is. in there. Yeah, yeah.
2: Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah.
0: So you know, I, I do want to transition to uh, now. I, I'm probably going to say it right Sang, how do you say it? Sangam. 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 sangam yeah. It's a little yeah. bit more of a sangam, and that actually yes. literally means come together. Is that right? Yes.
1: Sangam in Sanskrit means confluence. confluence, and it's usually used in the context of rivers, right? Tivani okay. sangam, um, and they have some kind of sacred and holy connotations where. You know, a lot of times there'll be multiple rivers that meet in a place and those typically have religious significance as well. But um, the, uh, the idea behind Sangam was initially I was still very much rooted in Indian diasporic arts and very focused on expanding the reach of um, the arts from the diaspora to the broader community. Right. And so when I started Sangam, for example, I approached the San Francisco ethnic dance festival and was able to convince them to host um, all eight classical Indian dance forms, and one wow. of the in the festival in 2014. But then they invited me to be on their board, and it was while I was on their board that I realized that the experience of the Indian diaspora uh, is not unique. Right, just as we pride ourselves on our rich and varied heritage, yeah. the, every other community here has, you know, rich, wonderful yeah. artistic forms of expression. And the problem is that we all practice that within our silos,
0: right. Yeah.
1: right. um, and somehow, quote unquote, mainstream arts is is just kind of something that we think of when we think of like the ballet, the symphony, and yeah. you know, the eurocentric European, arts yeah. yeah right. And um the truth is we all belong, and that's the beauty of the mosaic is. You know, every little tile, regardless of its shape or size, is valuable and beautiful on its own. But it's what we create together when we come together that is glorious and all American.
0: Yeah. So, so would you say that that segment originally started Sangam? Sangam yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Originally started to uh, kind of just kind of like focus on. Uh, kind of Indian culture, Indian, yes, Indian art form. That was and, initially, yeah. and then yeah. you kind of, as you were on that board, you kind of like saw the wait a second, like you, I'm you're seeing these silos, and yes. and then is that where like the idea of mosaic then yes. came out, right?
1: Exactly, and I'll tell you what else, you know, um, the school of arts and culture. Um, you, I was new to the whole art and culture scene, right? I was very much just fresh off the tech
2: board, <laughs> yeah, you're, and
1: so yeah. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to start this organization and. I have to say that Silicon Valley creates and School of Arts and Culture were very much, um, you know, instrumental in helping us kind of take this notion of mosaic and animate it and get it uh, socialized in the uh, in the environment. And I'm proud to say that in this, in the past four years, we've made tremendous inroads, yeah. right? Now, Sangam is fairly well known in the Silicon Valley arts and culture landscape. And I would definitely yeah. draw a straight line from where we are today to my joining the Multicultural Arts Leadership Institute, which was uh, something that was formed by, you know, Roy uh, Hirabayashi from yeah. San, San Jose, Taiko Tamara Alvarado. And um, so we have a very, um, and of course, Connie Martinez was part yeah. of um uh, making mali happen so these are all people that were very much instrumental these uh, people and um organizations yeah. in kind of helping us incubate this idea flesh it out make the kind of connections that we needed the partnerships um that allowed us to kind of you know test out different ideas about yeah. what, what works what doesn't yeah what is um, what is
0: some of the stuff that you did because you no know, so so sangam is kind of like the organization and then mosaic yes. is that the programs is that kind
1: of so that's the initiative okay yeah so so and to be uh, and I'm going to let you in on something that we haven't quite announced yet but we are in the process of actually changing the name to avoid confusion so we are changing Sangam Arts to Mosaic America okay. because truly you know we are Mosaic Silicon Valley but our the our thinking is that eventually many parts of America will experience what we are experiencing yeah, here in great. Silicon Valley. And yes. so we hope that we can prove in this this kind of cultural innovation here in Silicon Valley and then, you know, use it as a way to kind of spread the message and have other people adopt the model.
2: Yeah. Um, that's
1: great. So yeah. So so in terms of what we did, so a mosaic, um, our very first large we, we had a mosaic Silicon Valley event. In 2016, right before the last election,
2: right.
1: uh, where we actually brought together—that was our launch event, right? We brought together 60 plus artists representing nine or ten different cultural traditions, yeah. and we presented them kind of like in this daisy chain. You know, you have um, one art form, like the flamenco came over and um, they did their bit, and they were joined by a Haitian drummer, the percussion providing the common thread, and then yeah. that you know morphed into something else. So it was this non-stop, seamless. 60 minutes of music and dance, Mm -hmm. uh, one morphing into the other, kind of. Um, Since then, um, we've done several things, including the very first folk festival, which we did at School of Arts and Culture. Um, We had over 150 artists from 12 cultures. Um, You know, it was very well received because in addition to what we showed up on the stage, we had that celebration spill into the plaza. Yeah. and we had people in the pavilion dancing and it you know incredible video of you know the hula dancers kind of you know working with folk dancers from from an indian community and you know the the samba dancers and uh, yeah. you know brazilian dancers interacting with you know other kids the chinese dancers and so on so this whole notion of you know this experiencing things together is what creates a sense of community yeah that's right and um yeah, so I think we've had a lot of success. We have also had some very critical learnings along the way. Um, yeah, one of the away. things, yeah. So, one of the things that we realized is for a small organization that is grassroots and is trying to bring about big change, it is a huge lift for us to you know, get a big theater and do the tech and do sure. the marketing and get people to come. Right. to experience yeah. these arts, which are, you know, not very well known to people, right? So if I tell people, come and watch the show, it's going to feature 12 different cultures doing blah, 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 they just don't know what to expect. Yeah. So instead, what we are now doing is uh, commissioning works that are intercultural, that require artists to come together, and over a period of time, learn about each other's traditions and co-create you know, like pro, you know, evening length performances or maybe 15 minute performances. Yeah. And then we take it to where people already gather for other reasons, yeah, right? right. Yeah. So, for example, the San Jose Museum of Art has been a fantastic mm-hmm. partner and have, have allowed us to use their space. And we have a great mutually beneficial relationship, right? We oftentimes will bring programs like the Third Thursday program to San Jose Museum where the the performing arts that we bring there is intercultural, but it is also very much tied thematically to whatever is on exhibit at right. that point. Yeah. Uh, similarly, we're working with San Jose Jazz. You know, we have yeah. the city, uh, city of Sunnyvale kind of had us come in and program their State of the City event. Uh, Montalvo Arts, we did a Mosaic Montalvo for them. Yeah. Because would there's you, a record... Yeah. Would you say, ahead.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you, but would you say like then for a Mosaic, I mean, Um, You know, because I think what you were kind of saying is like in the beginning, it was kind of more of a here's a showcase of this kind of culture Mm -hmm. art. And here's a now next up is Mm -hmm. this. And then and Mm -hmm. now what you're talking about is actually seeing what happens when you bring maybe these two different cultures together and let them create in their relationship something new. right?
1: Absolutely. And that is very important. You know, creating cultural safaris. is not important anymore, right? It may have had its uh, time and place, you know, when we did indeed have one majority that had the audience and the power and the resources, and they were trying to make space for people on the margins to come in, right? That made sense back then. But right now, we are all part of this mosaic, right? Yeah, so
0: it's truly a melting pot, then there would be this different... Form that would come out right rather than yes silos now for the, exactly. so I have a question though with that though is like you talked about you know like when you come over from a different culture and you're here you know what are the aspects where you become you know a part mm-hmm. of the culture and then there are things that you give up do you feel like yeah um you know I'm just kind of this is just off the top of my head you know just yeah do you feel up like by doing that like bringing the two cultures together is there something that people would be giving up from their culture do you think or
1: Well, I think that, um, you know, I don't know that you shouldn't have to, right? I mean, I think that's the, um, and I do think that some communities probably have to, to fit in, whether, you know, it's uh, some people probably feel the pressure not to dress a certain way, you know, or um, not to practice their faith openly or stuff. That still happens. But for me, I think it was more about adapting to include our Our community, right? So, the way we celebrate certain festivals or certain things now, I try and kind of adapt it so that I can invite my friends and others from other cultures to participate and feel like they can play a role in it. So, I think there's, I don't think that there's a need to give up. Right, the only thing you give up truly is your allegiance yeah. to a foreign yeah. country, right? Like, if I have to take up arms against India, God forbid, I will because this is my country now, right? Yeah. Other than that, you shouldn't have to give up anything, right?
0: Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think, even for me, being kind of by culture, is like there is this kind of thing that where you feel like sometimes, well, I need to be this culture or that culture, but you can actually mm-hmm. have this meshing of the two and yes. still respect and have identity and love for yes. the individuals. And yes. I think that's some of the yes. tension that you see within our countries that people want,
1: Absolutely. you know, and I think one of the problems is the price of belonging, you know, and I think back yeah. to my days mm-hmm. in high tech, people talk about diversity and inclusion and belonging. When you think about what we are doing through Mosaic is essentially to move communities from diversity to inclusion, to belonging.
2: Right. right? Yeah.
1: So you talk about that usually in a corporate context, but when you think about what people, regardless of what the, the policies say, I'll tell you what I felt as an Indian American, um, but well, I wasn't quite an American then, but an Im- <laughs> in, Indian immigrant went, uh, you know, went into this space. We left big chunks of our identity at the door when yeah. we entered the workplace. Sure. We didn't talk about, you know a lot of the cultural aspects. I didn't wear my traditional clothes right. because there was this unwritten rule that this is the dominant culture, right. and you need to conform to that to belong, right? right. Yeah. And th- the beauty of a mosaic that we have in mind is that the the shape or the image that the mosaic is creating is not well no- is not known or established ex ante, right? It's not something that you already know. I'm going to create a peacock. Right. So, all the pieces that come into this peacock are what I need. Everybody else is going to be left behind. The beauty of the mosaic is it morphs to accommodate everybody, yeah, right, and makes the most of it. The problem I think what the people forget when they talk about belonging is, you know, what does it mean to belong? Right. you know, diversity is. You have enough people of different, you know. People use these shortcuts to describe like what is diversity and inclusion, belonging. People say like you know, you know diversity,
2: or is like, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Or it's like you know, being invited to a party versus having a good time. And I like to take that one step further and say it's being invited to a party, having a good time, and feeling comfortable enough to pick the music and invite more people of your own right <laughs> yeah. to come and join. Like that's yeah. belonging. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, to, I think you know we. Uh, To be very fair, um, and this is where I think being Indian American, both Priya and I talk about this a lot, really has benefited us because India has many, many, many problems, many problems, some of which are truly ugly and we need to change it. One problem you do not have in India, you don't have people walking around saying, there is a Punjabi Indian, here is a Telugu Indian, there is a Tamil Indian. No. Because our notion of national identity is not predicated on how somebody lives, eats, prays, Mm. you know, which none of that. Because we have been able to develop a national identity that does not require on things being the same, right? Diversity is very much part of our our kind of DNA. But to be fair, we have had centuries to develop that competency, right? Back in India, because the the invasions, the colonization, all of that happened over centuries. You're talking about huge changes here in America, especially places like Silicon Valley that have happened in two or three decades. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's not enough time for people to kind of develop that cultural competency.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting as you're, you're speaking, I know that your initial movement to this was to, uh, to be involved in the arts and kind of like that artistic yeah. expression. But when I hear you, it's like, you're really shaping culture is what I really feel. You're a community That's, builder, right? Would you? Yeah. How would you describe even yourself and what you're doing then?
1: Yeah, so I, I do think that um, I am kind of a, a, you know, quote unquote, culture worker, right? An American, yeah. all American culture worker. And I'm trying to strengthen community. Mm-hmm. And you made such an astute observation Arts was the most most convenient, the least threatening, most accessible way for us to do that, yeah. right? And we started there, and it's proven to be hugely successful because artists make tremendous cultural ambassadors, yeah. right? And the artists that we work with typically are not mere performers. You know, we all know those artists who are fantastic performers, but they haven't really put a lot of thought into the historical context of their art. Sure. And they have not looked around them to mm-hmm. see, you know, what else is out there, right? They're very much focused inward. What we look for in artists are people who can be ambassadors for the art, but they can talk about, but they're all American, right? So we love to bring artists together who are all American and just happen to be practicing art forms that originated elsewhere. Sure, yeah, sure. And, you know, and having grown up over here, being able to read music, all of these things make them uniquely qualified to create something together. And it's a beautiful yeah, thing to be right? But to your point about culture work, what we also realize is, um, well, arts is very core and central to what we do. There are a lot of things that we can do through other mediums, right? Whether it's through film, through, you know, discussions, colloquia, yeah. through, you know, having conversations in... Um, libraries and, you know, uh, universities. And those are things that we're working on right now. In fact, we have a new, a brand new um, series called Making the Mosaic. And that is going to be exploring this notion of belonging. You know, what does it mean to belong? And starting all the way from kind of like the social psychology, because, you know, belonging, I think historically people have thought of, you know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, it's food, clothing, shelter, and everything else comes after but, you know, when you think about belonging, even if you go way back in prehistoric times, belonging was very much a first order need, right? If you weren't yeah. part of the pack, you're, gonna you're not going to do <laughs> right Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, and it's still true to some extent, right, for us too. It, belonging is very much a need that we need to cater to. Yeah. And so we're going to be exploring that whole thread. Um awesome. The other, other thing that we want to do in terms of... Um, creating a sense of belonging is developing not only this shared collective experiences, which are very important, right? When you're in this concert, I mean, I still remember going to this Prince concert in Oakland in 1996 with four or five of my friends, you know, and in business school, and I forever feel connected to them.
0: Yeah, (laughs) sure, because of the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was
2: one experience. And
1: um, so shared experiences are great, yeah. but also one thing that creates a sense of community is having a shared understanding of history, which yeah. is something we lack.
0: Yeah. I right? love what you talk, when, even when you talked about, um, you mentioned like uh, these art forms or doing these things and it's an American thing. I, yeah. I, I noticed when you say that, like the American, but part of me cringes of like, uh like the American, you know, I just think of that yeah. thing. but. Mm-hmm. What I love what I'm getting from you is that it's – you're expressing the America that I know too, where it is this yes. melting pot, where it's this new existence of harmony between uh, yeah. different cultures. And that's that's the – could be the best part of the Absolutely. American expression. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so I really like that. Um, what What's um, – Some of the things that you have coming up, I know you guys are doing a lot of things with the museum and what's some of the things that you're doing?
2: Yes.
1: So we have, um, you know, unfortunately, so one of the things I'm super excited about is this year we got funded by um, the County of Santa Clara and also SV Creates through the X Factor Grant to do a hummingbird festival, which is going to be uh, an Ohlone festival that showcases uh, in a very participatory way um, living traditions of the Oloni people, and nice. you know, we felt like a lot of times people think about the Oloni; they offer landed vocation, but we don't realize they are very much living amongst us, right? Even though, and we view the Oloni and almost all indigenous communities through this lens of kind of the destruction of their their culture. Yeah. But the truth is, despite against all odds, we have the Oloni living amongst us. Really trying to keep their traditions alive so we we work to get funding to have this festival, which the culture bearers will be sharing things like regalia making you know bone rattles or skirts yeah. or or whatever so that was one that we had to shelve, but we are trying to kind of do some work online and then bring yeah. it back in real life soon and we were going to have these festivals at mission Santa Clara and montago and some places that have significance to the Ohlone. Sure. Yeah. So that's one. We also have, uh, um, we are working with School of Arts and Culture and partnering with them to bring the very first Mosaic Silicon Valley Festival to the plaza. Awesome. And it will be the first festival that is entirely intercultural. So, you know, in <clears throat> the performances, will all feature works that we have commissioned to bring two or three different, you know, yeah. art forms or cultures together yeah but then in the plaza we will have we will showcase kind of cuisine arts um you know all the cultures that surround us so yeah. the idea is you know we're going to reflect the true diversity of san jose and silicon Valley, yeah. you know in That's a way awesome. uh, yeah so that is um right now it's scheduled for april 1st and 2nd we're hoping that we will still have yeah. it <laughs> yeah um yeah i know and then there's Absolutely. And then one of the things that we discovered with uh, COVID, you know, when we had to take everything online is um, we are not trying to recreate the physical experience in some form online. We've just realized there's actually people that we can reach online that we would not be able to reach in real life. Right. So um, some of these conversations that we are having, for example, this coming um, Thursday, we have uh, Love Lost Life, which is an examination of Chicano, African American, and Vietnamese history in Santa Clara Valley um, yeah. through music right um, Van An Vo, who is a fantastic artist, a Vietnamese traditional artist, um, she composed this work after interviewing you know uh, community leaders from these different communities. And it's our way of conveying the history of Santa Clara Valley and kind of highlighting some of the the things that maybe people don't understand, you know, the Chicano yeah. movement, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have that a lot of stuff coming online and we are going to change our name and, you know,
2: work yeah. on kind of a lot getting of that. new stuff. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, really. it's good. You but know,
0: it, it makes me just realize too, it's just a lot of times, that you know, when cultural kind of like, experiences and art forms are presented it's very much like and this is from this part of the world i think what's so great about where we live is that what you're doing is actually you're just actually opening up the doors of what's going on behind in the individual houses you know exactly it's not it, it, it is from another part of the world but the reality is this house you know is Eating this food and this next house right next to them is doing something different, and yet they're neighbors, right? And living in community.
1: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, you know, um, I'll give you an example. So we did in Saratoga, we commissioned a work. But was expressly intended to bring the Saratoga community together, which, you know, in Saratoga, we have silos of white Indian Chinese communities, right? Um, And they're getting increasingly siloed. The only things that seem to draw them together is when they're out there protesting some new development (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, expressing their concern about school or, you know, um, so so when I first moved here, I commissioned this work and we had, the, uh, again all Americans we had the Indian American sitar player who composed a piece for cello and so we had Robert Howard who played the cello wow, we had awesome. Shenzhen Zhang who played the Chinese pipa with tabla for percussion and they came together but this is so first of all you couldn't just suss out you couldn't say okay Arjun's going to play sitar and Shenzhen's going to play pipa no it was all in in harmony together it was a concert but the beautiful part and this is what is so important is that performance was uniquely american because these are people that are born and raised here typically a sitar player or a people player would not read music or write music right? right growing up here in america these are all kids that grew up here learned how to read and write music were part of their orchestra symphonies what have you and they were able to converse and remotely you know compose this and just get together once and played. It was so beautiful, yeah, that's great. so moving, right? And they were able to talk about how their own practice related to others. And to me, you know, it was such an aha moment because I cannot really envision any other place in this world where that kind of stuff can happen so naturally.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And 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 I, that's why I want to say they're all American artists.
2: Yeah. That's right? great. Yeah.
1: Well, for you, and, what
0: would you say, what is your kind of like personal like mission, what do you feel like you're like called to do? I mean, like we can, I think we can hear it throughout what you're talking about. What would you say?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I would say that I know this sounds really grandiose, but I would love to play a role in redefining um, in the minds of everybody in America what it means to be American. Yeah. What does American art mean? So that eventually, you know, like my daughter, you know conferred the American title on Isabel yeah, <laughs> from yeah. here, I would just want people to not uh, presume that uh, American means any one thing, right? right. And that we can actually um I also want, I mean, I do worry a lot about this erosion of social cohesion. Yeah. Because a lot of us try to find community online. We try community among our own religion, our own people of a certain origin.
2: Yeah. But
1: community for humans has to be rooted in place. Ultimately, the physical beings, right? We yeah. need to have a connection to the place. And I hope that at least in Silicon Valley, in some small way, I hope, you know, over the next how many every years, I can feel like, okay, you know, now I'm sensing there is a feeling of belonging that people have. Because, yeah. you know, we have 40% of the people that are born here that were not born here, they're born elsewhere. And then we have increasing numbers of people saying they don't see themselves living here in the future. Right. So if you're not from here, you don't have a common past, you don't see a common future, how are we going to create community? And I'm hoping that we can find ways and with the help of organizations like, you know, as we creates like city of San Jose night foundation, which has been a tremendous yeah. support to us. They've invested a very large amount in a small organization like us, um, you know, it's, it's school of arts and culture, all of these people, I truly feel like the love and kind of everybody's bought into this vision in San Jose. That's what is yeah. so amazing to me. And I think we have an opportunity to be the standard bearers. You know how people always talk about Silicon Valley innovation? They immediately yeah. think about high-tech. Right. But we have an opportunity to innovate, to do some, you know, really demonstrable um innovation and community building. Yeah. Um, through the arts and through the humanities right here. And that's I hope I can play a small role in that.
0: Awesome. Well, that's great. I think you are doing that. And you know, as I hear you speaking it's kind of like wow it's like you it seems like you've really found like the area where you belong you know and i feel like yeah, yeah you know I do. The, yeah it's it's great this the connectedness so cool well, awesome uh where can people uh find out what where's the best place for them to go to find out if they want to participate in one of the mosaic um yes events?
1: so you can go to the web at Sangam arts that s-a-n as in nancy g-a-m as in mary Arts.org. You can find us online at Sangam Arts and also at Mosaic Silicon Valley on Facebook and Instagram. And, or you can send us an email: at info at info@sangamarts.org. We would love to hear from people and you know join us on this journey. I think we all can be ambassadors of this kind of notion of mosaic yeah and um and thank you daniel i oh, really sure. appreciate it. i know you had featured us in content magazine and now to be part of this podcast it gives us an important platform to get the uh, word across and it's been yeah. a real pleasure talking to you
0: well thank you i really love what you're doing and i really appreciate it so and hopefully thank i'll you. see you in person soon yes yeah
1: before long <laughs> yeah. thank you Take care. Okay. Okay. bye
2: bye
0: Thank you for listening to the Content Magazine Podcast. Follow us on social media at ContentMag. Visit our website to become a member and help us to continue to tell the stories of the local creatives. This episode's music is a piece commissioned by Sengman Arts and composed by Arjun Verma called Strings and Bow.